Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. It's January 13, 2011, and this is episode 274. On December the 17th, 2010, I did a portrait shoot at a Christmas party where I set up my studio in a large room in a restaurant here in Tokyo, and I ended up shooting nine groups of people. Today, I'm going to take you through the idea behind all of this and some of the logistics, and then in a second part next week, we'll take a look at some of the resulting images along with a few tips that might help you in similar circumstances. So firstly, in the spirit of keeping you fully informed in the background of what I'm up to, the company that allowed me to do this portrait shoot is the company that I left in September last year. It's my old day job employer, which felt a little bit strange in some ways, but it was also great to see many of my old colleagues again. So as we'll see, this is actually a pretty good model for a portrait shoot, but I can't take credit for the original idea as my old employer contacted me to do this. At first, I was concerned that my old colleagues would uh, would think that I hadn't fully cut the cord and I discussed the opportunity with the the people in charge at length before agreeing to do it. I am so pleased that I did agree to do it though, as we had a lot of fun, and it turned out to be quite a well-paid gig in the end. The plan was that I would set up my studio in a space in the corner of a restaurant that they were chartering for the entire evening for their Christmas party. I would then charge people a minimal fee for a 10 to 15 minute portrait shoot. The cost varied depending on the number of people in the group and I also added an option for them to pay a little bit extra and get an A4 sized Honeymule Fine Art Barita print of their favourite resulting image and I would put that into a, a map board uh, and I also provided a price list for additional prints that people can order and I did receive a, a few orders um, from that too, but uh, you know that just really helps to increase the overall profitability of the evening. This was quite a big job, and just getting the studio set up uh, took quite some time. Uh, so you know I knew it was that was what it, how it was going to be. So I basically asked a friend of mine from the MVP community, Jesse Davis, to come along and act as an assistant. And Jesse had actually asked me to let him know when he could be of help. So, you know, and he sure was of of a lot of help. So it was great to have him on board for the evening. I'd also like to let you know that some of the behind the scenes photographs that we'll use today uh, in this podcast and on the blog were shot by Jesse. So thanks for not only helping during the shoot, but also for helping to document it for us, Jesse. I really appreciated your help. So let's start by taking a look at the studio itself. I threw a quick diagram together on a great new website just for creating studio diagrams called Sylights. That's S-Y-L-I-G-H-T-S dot com. I created a short link to my diagram, which is mbp.ac slash studio, if you want to take a look. 
but you're also able to export the diagrams as PNG files, so I've done that and embedded the diagram into the Enhanced Podcast on my blog, so you can take a look there too. I used two Canon 580X uh, Mark II speed lights and two Profoto D1 500 Air monolights for most of the shoots, though there was one large group shot towards the end uh, for which we had to use a third speed light to pop some light into a dark area of the shot, simply because the large number of subjects was just too much for the for the lighting that we had. The standard setup though, as you can see in the diagram, was two speed lights firing into um, a reflective 45-inch umbrella each side pointing across the white backdrop to keep that uh, nice and bright and to stop the background from going dark. In the front right, I had one of my Profoto monolights firing into a 60-inch shoot-through umbrella that would act as the main or key light. Then I had a second Profoto monolight firing into a Bruce Dawn 18x42-inch softbox from Westcott as the kicker or hair light. I don't think I've spoken about these Profoto lights yet, so I'll give you a bit of background on why I chose them. I initially wanted to get a set of pocket wizards, but unfortunately they use a radio wavelength uh, that does not conform to Japanese radio regulations, so I can't use them here. Pocket Wizard did create a Japan-compliant version of one of their older generation units, but they had to cripple it so badly to comply with the, the Japanese regulations that they weren't much more use than a long sync cord. So I started to look into other options. I was looking on and off for quite some time, actually. But finally I came across the Profoto system. The Profoto D1 Air monolights have Profoto Air wireless functionality built in, which means that I can fire them wirelessly using a Profoto Air remote unit, and that goes that just plugs into the hot shoe on the camera for up to a range of 300 meters. The Air remote also allows me to turn the monolights on or off, increase their or decrease their power. Uh, turn on the modeling lights, change the modeling light power, etc. There's lots of things that you can do right there from the camera with the Air Remote unit. The other important factor for me was that I can also use the Profoto Air Sync unit uh, to fire my Canon 580EX2 speed lights. They can't be controlled like the the Profoto monolights and you have to shoot in full manual mode, but that's the way I like to work anyway. So that certainly isn't a deal clincher for me. You can also plug the air sync units into the camera's sync cord, um, you know, with a sync cord, of course, um, into the, the, the plug, the little hole that, uh, that you have on most cameras. And uh, basically using that, you can uh, use the remote switch. You basically use the, the air sync units, which are slightly... I don't want to say dumbed down, but they're, they're, well, I will. They're a slightly dumbed down version of the Air Remote. Um, and you can use that to fire your cameras also, again, you know, like up to 300 meters away if you want to. And I'm sure that will come in handy at some point. By the way, here's a photo of the Pelican case that I custom customized. Uh, you know, you just pull out the little squares. Uh, but basically, I customized this to fit my three... Profoto Air Sync units and two Profoto Air Remote units. And I also 
pinched out space uh, for two full sets of AnyLoop rechargeable batteries in uh, in the front there. And then there's the sync cords that I need to connect the air sync units to my Canon speed lights over on the right. I bought the two Profoto D1 monolights as a kit that came with a case, two light stands and two 45 inch umbrellas, and one air remote that you can use to control and fire the monolights. If you're thinking of buying into the Profoto system, this kit is certainly the way to go. It costs around twice as much to buy all of the individual components separately, and it's even cheaper to buy this kit than just one standalone D1500 monolight here in Japan. I'll put a link to B&H in the show notes if you're interested, and they're also affiliate links, so you'd be helping me and you know support the podcast if you were to use these links if you do buy the, buy something from B&H or buy these items from B&H. One last thing to note is that there are 1000 watts per second, 500 watts per second and 250 watts per second version of these heads. And I went with the 500s, the 500 watts per second that, you know, basically I, I thought that $2,300 for that kit that I just mentioned, um, it's not cheap, but I thought it was a good balance between cost and power. So I've, you know, so far I've been very happy with them. They're incredibly powerful and can keep up with a pretty fast pace of shooting. Obviously, my speed lights don't recharge as fast though, even if uh, I have an external power pack attached. So there were a number of shots where the background fell dark or just one speed light fired, uh, which resulted in some nasty shadows caused by the, the creases in the background, as you can see in this image. This helps to show the importance of lighting the background as well. If I was to not light the background at all, by the way, it goes very dark. So you can actually use a white background as a gray one if you, you, know, you have enough distance between you um, or the, the subjects and the backdrop. Also note that we had a large reflector in front of the setup bouncing some light uh, from the key light back at the subjects. So to kill uh, any harsh shadows under the chins, etc. You can see the main elements of the setup in this photo with me messing around on the set as well. You'll also note that I'm wearing my One Light Workshop t-shirt, so I have to publicly apologise to Zach Arias here for using up to five lights on this shoot. I haven't actually attended this workshop, but I did buy the One Light Workshop DVD, which I can't recommend highly enough. I was pleasantly surprised too to see that they packed the DVD with the t-shirt and I've hardly been able to take it off since it arrived. Anyway, the reflector is one of two reflectors that comes in the Westcott Illuminator Collapsible Reflector 4-in-1 Reflector Kit. These are 52-inch square reflectors, one being silver on one side and gold on the other. And the second that we see in this photo is basically a 52-inch diffuser, but you can position it like this, and it reflects enough light to be like a, a normal white reflector, hence the name 4-in-1. So I spoke about why I positioned the two speed lights in the back there to light up the backdrop, but let's talk a little about the positioning of the two Profoto monolights here too. 
The main or key light that we see to the right in this photo is to throw a nice soft light across the face of the subject. I use the 60 inch umbrella here to get it sort of nice, uh, you know, I, I put that up nice and close uh, to the subject to get a, a very soft wraparound light. If you aren't into this sort of photography, it's kind of counterintuitive, but basically the closer you place your light to your subject, the softer the light gets. Of course, it does also get brighter as you move it closer, but you manage that with the power of your lights and the aperture that you shoot at. The shutter speed only controls the exposure of the ambient light with flash photography. I would like a large softbox or an octobox to use instead of this 60 inch umbrella sometimes, but they're quite expensive and I really need to make a bit more money from my current setup before I pull the trigger on that purchase. Plus, as I hope you'll agree, when we look at the resulting images next week, this setup does produce quite nice results. I generally set my key light about a stop brighter than the kicker light, which is the strip softbox here that we you can see to the left in this shot. You can go lower and play with the balance of these lights, of course, depending on the look that you're trying to get. If you want a more dramatic look, you can move the lights further away and maybe also turn the, the power up a little or, or take different, you know, take the difference uh, between the two lights power further away from each other. Uh, there's lots of things that you can try, yeah, but for this kind of shoot, I was looking for a, a nice but somewhat orthodox look. As you can also see in the photo of me on the set, I had a cable running from the camera to, the, to a laptop as I was actually shooting tethered with the images going directly into Lightroom. This had its advantages, but there were some critical issues that I still need to work out. The advantages are that you can create a preset, including a profile that uh, you know that I created with X-Rite Color Checker Passport, and then apply that preset as you import the images, so you know that you have color correct images right there on the laptop as they come in. Another thing that I did was to create a 20 by 30 inch gallery wrap that was just plain canvas with nothing printed on it. And I projected the screen of the laptop to a screen, you know, to that gallery wrap um, to basically allow the subjects to see their images as they came in. Now, this was great for adults because they were able to see how well the shoot was going and get a feel for what we were doing. The downside that I hadn't expected was that kids would become fixated on the screen and I couldn't get them to look at the camera. So... We had, you know, to stop this, I basically had to turn the projector off while shooting the kit with, you know, groups that had children in them and then only turn it on when I wanted to show them the photos. Overall, I thought the advantages outweighed the disadvantages, so I'll continue to do this, but there was certainly a lesson learned here. Now, as I said, there, there were major problems with tethering. Uh, that made me think twice about doing this again, at least until I've had a chance to retest and overcome this issue. The first problem, though, was, was self-induced. Um, though a problem all the same, um, it, was, it was my own making to a degree, uh, at least the cause. While shooting the last group, I stood on the USB cable pulling it out of the camera, 
After I plugged it back in again, I had to restart Lightroom because it had frozen on the last image that was being transferred. But then from that point on, for around 30 frames, the monolights didn't fire. I, of course, was looking through the viewfinder so I couldn't see um, if they were firing or not. And I only realized when I chimped at the LCD on the camera, um, some of the best expressions on, of, the, on you know, of the family that I was shooting were lost there. And that gutted me, but it really drove home the need for me to listen out for those audible beeps that the monolights give out when they're ready to fire. I don't recall if they were beeping or not, but I'm pretty sure they weren't. So I really need to train myself to listen for this while shooting in this studio setup. The second problem, and this is the show, this is the showstopper, uh, at least I can, until I can figure out what happened. While trying to salvage some of the images that I shot just before I pulled the USB cable out of the camera, um, later on when I got home this is, I imported the images from the CF card that was in the camera into Lightroom. And there were a few frames that I was able to pull from the card, but as I went through the images, I realized that some of the photos that I remembered shooting were missing. This got me curious, of course, so I compared the two sets of imported images, and it turns out that there were 105 images from uh, throughout the evening, not just when I pulled the USB cable out, but from the first, from the very start of the evening, there was a total of 105 images that simply did not make it to the camera's CF card. They only existed on the laptop's hard drive. It happened so often throughout the evening that I'm pretty sure it will be reproducible once I, I get time to test it again, but it's very disturbing to think that the two batches of images didn't match. I did find that uh, there are some cameras that don't support writing to both Lightroom and the CF card, but I shot most of the evening with the 1DS Mark III and the, I, the, a few of them I used the 5D Mark II as a second body uh, and both of these cameras are supported. It should write to both Lightroom and the CF card. Anyway, that's just something to watch out for yourself if you do shoot tethered and I'll be sure to report back if I find the reason for this happening. Luckily though, apart from the images that were too dark because of the monolights hadn't fired after I pulled out the USB cable. Um, don't know why that happened, but it just did. Uh, all of the other images from the shoot were there on my laptop, so all was not lost. So let's finish it there for today. Um, remember, in part two, uh, next week, we'll take a look at the actual portrait shoots uh, themselves, how they went, and then we'll take a look at a photo or, or two from each session, as well as touching on a few of the techniques used that were specific to some of the sessions. So thanks for listening today and remember that you can find me on Flickr and Facebook as well as Twitter and of course my blog and the photography forum. All links are at the top page on martinbaileyphotography.com so do drop by. And I'll be back next week with another episode. But in the meantime, you just have a great week, whatever you're doing.
Bye bye. This is Dave Warner, and I'm the host of the LensFlare35.com podcast. Each week, I bring you interviews with some of the top photographers using digital SLR cameras. They share some of their coolest tips and tricks, techniques, and news about what they're up to. So please take a moment to visit the website or subscribe to LensFlare35 on iTunes. The Martin Bailey Photography Podcast is a proud member of the Photocast Network. Find this and other great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com.